Libby writes with Brian Scott Libby. Transcript can be obtained by drinking a fifth of bourbon, ramming your head through some drywall, and then writing down every thought you have. What is up on a Monday? I am Brian Scott Rippey. Thanks for tuning in to another edition of the Rippey Rights Podcast. Today, we got Bracken Ray on to talk some Chris Beard offseason stuff, um, what he's been able to do in the portal, the amount of ground he's covered from the time he took the job, uh, ingratiating himself with the fan base, and what this team might look like next year, as well as a couple of key decisions that the NCAA will have as far as transfer waivers for Ole Miss. So nice little basketball offseason conversation. Think you'll enjoy it. Before we get to that, though, speaking of Bracken, wanted to remind you that this podcast is brought to you by Rent the Sip Oxford. Rent the Sip Oxford's Turnberry unit is located just off Old Taylor Road, less than a mile from campus, straight shot to Swayze Field, almost a straight shot to Vaught Hemingway Stadium. It will sleep eight comfortably and includes amenities such as pool, sauna, tennis courts, and it's gated. It's perfect for big game weekends. A lot of times it's hard to find a place in Oxford. Rent the Sip Oxford still has availabilities for the ULM, Mercer, and Vandy football weekends, as well as move-in week and Rush Week as well. They also have short-term stays available year-round. Go to RentTheSipOxford.com or reach out to Bracken at RentTheSipOxford.com if you want to reach out during email to check availability. So not only is it good for big game weekends, it is nice for just any time you're passing through Oxford. Maybe you need to quickly find a place to stay. Go online, check them out, see what availabilities they have at RentTheSipOxford.com or reach out to Bracken at RentTheSipOxford.com if you want to get in touch via email. When you book a two-night minimum stay and you use the promo code RippyWrites, that'll get you 100 bucks off of your stay. Check them out, RentTheSipOxford.com or one more time, check them out at that email if you have questions at Bracken, B-R-A-C-K-E-N, at RentTheSipOxford.com. Really appreciate them sponsoring the podcast. Be sure to take advantage of that offer now. Podcast is also brought to you by Skybox Sports Picks. Who is Skybox Sports Picks? Well, glad you asked. They're the world's best gambling handicapping website. The inventors of the Skybox Matrix Interval, an advanced modeling mechanism that has helped propel Skybox to the top of the sports handicapping industry. Go check them out. If you're wanting to build up your bankroll before football season, Mark Harris and the guys at Skybox NASCAR are crushing it on the track every weekend, just racking up positive unit weekends. But as football season will be here before you know it, just go online to skyboxsportspicks.com. You can find a picks package that fits your price range. You can try it for a day, a week, a month, whatever, college football, NFL football. They've also got college basketball coming up uh, not too far from that as well. All you have to do is go sign up for the picks package, type in the promo code RIPPEE, R-I-P-P-E-E, and that'll get you 20% off any purchase. They're the only way to profit in the long run. Check them out, skyboxsportspicks.com. Podcast is also brought to you by LB's University Avenue there in Oxford. Go see Greg if you're a Rippy Wright subscriber. That's rippywrights.substack.com. Get a free newsletter from me and discounted meats right now. It's a 16 ounce or six three ounce bacon wrap fillets for 20 bucks. It's about a $40 valuation you're getting there for 20 bucks. Just go in there, show Greg proof of subscription. You'll get you, he'll get you set up. Then go find all your own favorites. It's the best butcher shop in the world. It's prime grilling season. LB's is a crown jewel of Oxford. Make your grilling experience great by going to LB's University Avenue there in Oxford. All right, here is Bracken Ray on the Ole Miss basketball offseason to this point. All right, we now welcome on former Andy Kennedy assistant, businessman, real estate mogul, as you heard at the top of this podcast, Bracken Ray. It is uh, midsummer and we're doing a basketball podcast. So on the content front, things are good. How are you? I'm good. We're not talking about uh, firing anybody in you know midsummer. Uh, there's actually shit to talk about. So I'm I'm doing well. 
Yeah, I mean, I've joked with you. I've on off air a couple times ever since we, you know, we did the pod right before Beer got hired, did one right after. And just like, you know, if we only do five pods next basketball season, something went horribly wrong. It's weird to want to even be talking about Ole Miss basketball on a, you know, a, I would say a mainstream front, like the podcast, aside from you and I just texting or, you know, minutia stuff happening. It's kind of crazy that this is like a newsworthy program in the summer. It, it's it's certainly a good thing, but the, you know, Beard from the last time we spoke, whenever that was in March, I mean, he's hit the ground running and been pretty, uh, been pretty relentless so far. And I, I, again, the expectations were sky high from the time he got here, but it seems like he's been every bit as good as advertised in terms of what he can do since he's taken the job and not coached a game yet. Yeah. I mean, 100%. It's the roster turnaround has been uh, pretty unbelievable. Um, and the staff turnaround as well. Um, you know, you, you hear about it, but this guy really is working like 16, 18 hours a day, and it's June. I mean, it, it, it's really crazy what they're what they're doing right now, and they're hitting all phases, right? They've been super focused, hyper-focused on recruiting, which is most important, but they're already doing a ton of film work and player development. Um they were able to bring one of the top strength and conditioning guys in the in the country in as well, which will help them this summer. So, you know, there's there's a lot of boxes when Chris Beard was um, hired that people nationally knew that he checked. And uh, so far, you know, three months or, and some change into this, he's he's checked a lot of those boxes so far. You've worked obviously at the at the D one level. You know a lot of people. You kind of know. That- the intricacies of how a lot of these hires work. And one of the fascinating things to me about what's happened since Chris Beard was announced as the head coach at Ole Miss and he did the initial press conference and you got a lot of the, I mean, extracurricular stuff is being dismissive, but a lot of the off the court stuff and contextualizing the situation that allowed him to be at Ole Miss. One of the things that's been very fascinating to me is there hasn't been any talk at all of, well, Ole Miss doesn't have this from a resource standpoint. Well, it's still this yep. job. What can he do to make the most out of this type of job? It's seemingly in a lot of ways, sometimes in a literal sense, sometimes a little more of a vague sense that he's created his own resources. I mean, you haven't really talked about NIL being a thing, and we'll get into some of the people that he's brought in in just a second. I, I don't think those dudes are coming because they love the campus and they're looking forward to majoring whatever the hell they're going to major in. But like, there's really been no floating of anything like, well, we, he can't do this just because it's not going to happen here from a financial or resources standpoint to put that into an actual question. How difficult is that to do at a place that doesn't have tradition? Or is it just the fact that, or is some of it just the fact that he's such a big name that yeah. it, it becomes, you know, people always talk about recruiting yourself or a program recruits itself or things just kind of start going in motion. And then it kind of snowballs momentum wise. Like how would you contextualize what, how difficult of a job he's already accomplished in getting these players here and kind of creating those resources that I've mentioned, if that makes any sense, like how difficult is that to do in this short amount of time? Well, look, I mean, we're in this day and age now where the, the transfer portal, there's a lot of teams that are heavily relying on it. And he's had the playbook for the transfer portal, probably half a decade before, you know, the transfer portal was a real thing. If you look at his Arkansas little rock team, I think the year before they got there, his staff got there, you know, they won 10 or 11 games. He wins 30 his first year there. And he did it by attacking the portal transfer wise. And then also um, he's got a lot of Juco roots as well. 
it's a really interesting point though that you bring up about the resources because I've probably listened to every press conference and podcast that he's been on and he he genuinely talks about how he thinks Ole Miss is a good basketball job and like I like I, when I hear him talk I believe that he thinks there's resources here to win at a pretty high level um now if a blue blood came calling in a couple of years okay we've got a different story to talk about but the interesting thing about it, and it, it, it's why I think this hire is so big for Ole Miss, not only now, but also, you know, if and when the day comes that he leaves, probably when more than if. If you look at it, going into um, this this coaching hire cycle, you've got, um, we, you know, the Kermit and staff, for, it was about a top 25 paid head coach and assistant pool in the country. Same with recruiting budget. You're in a great college town, great campus. You've got a solid practice facility. Um, and so like, and then you're in the SEC. And that in the past decade is now a selling point when it used to not be for coaching searches. So, you know, the point there is this job, you can't change the tradition and history. And one thing that is it's hard if you don't have it as NBA presence on the recruiting trail. You can't change any of that. But even going into this search, there's a, I think there over the past couple of years have been a lot more boxes checked for this program than you really think about. Right. So now beard and staff, I mean, you know, I think his assistant pool will probably be in the $1.2 million range. I bet his strength and conditioning coach is top five paid in the country. He's got a super aggressive salary. And if you look at some of these players that we're getting, Amusa Cisse, Sharp from Western Kentucky, you don't get those guys if you don't have NIL money. You, you just don't. Th those are guys out there that want to go play for a good coach, you know, the, the whole deal. But I, priority number one is NIL. And so what Beard's been able to do is bring in a good staff and all that. But I think he also very quickly – has sold to the administration, you know, the boosters, et cetera, how important NIL is and has increased that pool to a point where it's very competitive um, nationally right now. It's still got room to work to go. There's never going to be a coach that's content with what their NIL pool is. But, um, you know, that was kind of the missing link when he was hired. It's like, hey, there's facilities are checked. You know, that box is checked. Salaries are checked. It's small, but having a cool college town and cool college campus, that box is checked. But the NIL piece, you know, under Kermit was at a it was at a very small level. I, I heard there were there were, this time last year, there was a SOCON school that I heard about that had a higher NIL pool than Ole Miss did. Ooh. Now Chris Beard, you know, has has this pool, and I don't know where it ranks nationally, but it's at a place where it's competitive enough to go to the tournament potentially, you know, in year one. So that's been the, the most impressive piece to me from a resource standpoint is he's created something from nothing um, with the NIL pool. And he did so without extorting the athletic department for 10 days. So pat on the back to him just to clash back <laughs> all around. But that's kind of exactly what I was getting at. Well, how do you think he did that? Look, I since he's been hired, I mean, I try to keep up with it as much as I can. A lot of stuff going on. There's only so much you can do. And I readily admit kind of what I don't know. How did he do that so quickly? 
Like, is you it know, just he, the fact that he is Chris Beard? It's not a lot of like, it doesn't seem like it's a lot of like public campaign trail stumping. How do you think he's been able to be effective in that so quickly? So there's there's two pieces to it. And the second is kind of, a, uh, I wouldn't say conspiracy theory, but it's a hypothesis that I want to hear your opinion on. The first thing is he sells himself, right? The guy um, was at Texas. He was at Texas Tech, which in some ways is a similar job historically to yeah. Ole Miss. Took him to a national championship, right? So he's been able to quickly, um, you know, he's been able to sell himself. But one thing that that's important on the selling himself note too is he has such good connections with ninety nine percent of coaches in the con- in the country from a college standpoint. And why that's important is he had a really good relationship with Kermit and AK. And if you listen to his press conference, he knows. Every Ole Miss head coach back to the 80s, well, he has good relationships with them. What does that mean? If they're on your side, their legacy boosters will get on Chris Beard's side, right? I mean, that's kind of that's kind of how that works. It's like if Bruce Pearl, you know, re- was to retire in two or three years and they promoted his son up to head coach, well, a lot of those boosters would probably stay with them. But if they went and got some random low to mid-major guy, that random to low mid major guy probably has to prove himself for a few years. So Beard having relationships with like the previous five Ole Miss head coaches who then they all have their little clicks of boosters that went to war for them. I think that's helped. The second part, and I'm very interested to hear your, your thought on this. So Nick Saban, the past, you know, 15 years or whatever it is, has had a ton of success at Alabama, probably the greatest football coach of all time. So they have all these boosters that have donated. Well, what happens is your mid to low level boosters probably don't get a ton of attention because there's so many boosters now. Nate Oates took advantage of that at Alabama. So he was able to go talk to kind of some of these mid to low level boosters that if he brought them, if he kind of switched them over from football to basketball, gave them attention, well, the money they are giving in basketball is super impactful where the money they are giving in football is not moving the needle much. My hypothesis is that Chris Beard is a lot more aggressive and relentless than Lane is for football with NIL, booster interaction, you know, accessibility, et cetera. And I think, I'm not sure it's happened in the past, but I think present and going forward, you will see some of these neglected is is a little aggressive but some of these football boosters who have not been getting talked to and getting attention enough switching to basketball where they know they have a top 10 uh, coach as well nationally that's a fascinating theory and i think there's definitely a lot of merit to it and it's something that's never going to be tangibly like provable right because you're just never going to know the accounting of like which boosters who who did what who were they given to prior but there's definitely I mean, I, I, that theory makes a ton of sense. And I think there's definitely something to that as we've seen, as we've watched this unfold and who they've been able to attract in the portal so far in a very short amount of time. And it's a totally different world now. I mean, in some ways, like you mentioned, Nate Oates benefited from the fact that there's so many boosters. It's in some ways is that he's benefiting a little bit. And this is going to sound blasphemous in some ways, but I don't necessarily mean it as a direct correlation to the fact that Ole Miss 
is not really behind in their collective infrastructure and being organized on the NIL front, whether they have the biggest fund or not. And I know I made the joke about Kiffin extorting the athletic department, but all of that is in place. And so he kind of walked into a situation that was up to date on a general NIL front. If we're being honest, NIL has been just driven and headlined by football at pretty much every level um, in every program with the exception of a few schools. But you're right. I think he's probably benefited from the fact that, hey, there, there's people ready to give. You know, you can target some of the mid-level guys, the mid-level boosters, I'd say, like you described it, just because it makes a more, you know, visible impact in basketball because you're just not simply as recruiting as many guys. You know, if, if you want to talk about this from a quote-unquote payroll standpoint, you got 85 guys on the scholarship roster in football or whatever it is now, I think they did away with that. I can't keep up with the rules these days. But in basketball, you only need about five, six dudes a year that you really have like, hey, they're here. There are guys. And it makes a huge difference a lot quicker. And you can flip a roster pretty quick. So that's a it's a fascinating theory. And I, I think there's a ton of merit to it. And it takes someone dynamic and it ties into the first part of your theory. Someone that sells themselves. He has the pedigree. He has the track record. He took a school like Texas Tech to a national title game. And whereas if they'd have hired, and I hate continuing to use the Dusty May example as I'm, I'm picking on him, but hell, the guy just made a final four. I don't really think it's picking on him. He'd have probably had to prove himself a little bit more to make to in order to kind of reach the people who may not be as eager to give as he's been. And that's a fascinating piece of it. And then to kick it back to you, that gets back to something you've hinted at a couple of times in the first couple of minutes of this podcast is like, even when he does leave, whenever that day may come, whether it's two years down the road, seven years down the road, 10 years down the road, I have no idea, but it raises the floor of your job. I know Texas Tech promoted from within with Mark Adams, but the first year Mark Adams was at Texas Tech, they made the Sweet 16. Whereas if you'd have hired a longtime assistant like Mark Adams at Texas Tech prior to Chris Beard, the odds of that happening and that program being in the shape that it was when Mark Adams took over – are pretty much slim to none. And so it, it's almost a dually beneficial thing for Ole Miss as him being here is it's going to be great, presumably while he's here. But to your point, it also raises the floor of what your job is. And some of those things that you as someone who's been a pretty close fan of Ole Miss basketball for a long time, someone who's worked on a staff that says, hey, this actually can be better. He's kind of awoken some of those elements and brought them a little bit more to the mainstream. It's not as opaque of a conversation as it seemingly was three, four years ago when you're actually talking about what the job could be. 100%. I think you make a good point of like the handoff of Beard to Mark Adams. And look, I mean, the handoff – uh, although in a completely different way, the handoff of Beard to Rodney Terry, right? Yes. They were a lead eight team and they're they're gonna be pretty good next year as well. The the other piece that's interesting too, especially if you know the NCAA is super strict with this transfer rule, I would bet on the average Chris Beard team at Ole Miss, he has somewhere around eight transfers on his team. So if he leaves in three years and they're strict on this transfer rule. The next guy coming in has probably at least five solid players on their team to start with. And it, I I have this kind of theory, and it's not, you know, I mean, it's not as black and white as this, but I do think your first year is super important. Um, like you just don't have, you know, you don't have four or five years anymore in football, basketball, et cetera. And Lamont Paris is, you know, an example of it at South Carolina. Like he's done. Like that, that deal is done and he's only been there one year. You just, 
like having that type of year, year one, you just can't get boosters on board. You still have half the people that are pissed off that Frank was fired. Like he's toast. So whoever comes in next, however many years down the road it is, well, if this two if this two time transfer rule stays where you can't do it, you have to sit out a year. You probably the next guy probably has five SEC caliber players that they get to inherit, and that's never happened at Ole Miss before. I mean, think about it. All right, Beard's got two right now, Morell and Breakfield. Kermit had three: Schuler, Brian, and TD. And look what he did with that. Staff. And then AK. I mean, shit. I don't know one or two. With with you know Rod Barnes before that, so it's like, you know, if you if you can if the next guy can get five just comp, high level conference players, and then if it's a mid major dude who comes over, well, what if he's like Matt McMahon and has three all conference mid major guys on his team and brings up that, that's the whole point. You know, I could go on and on about it, but it's a kind of a domino effect, and it just shows, hey, short term, we're about to have a lot of fun for a couple years, but the long term you know, impact of this hire is, I think, could change, you know, the trajectory of this basketball program. Let's get into how he's reshaped the roster. They have six transfers as we record this podcast. Doubt it changes in the anytime, just in the totally near future. Um, Jalen Murray from St. Peter's, Alan Flanagan from Auburn, Musa Cisse from Oklahoma State, Jamarian Sharp from Western Kentucky, Austin Nunez from uh, Arizona State and Brandon Murray from Georgetown. That's just to list it off to yeah. give everyone out there listing just an idea of it. We can kind of go whatever direction you want to there. But let's just kind of a macro thought there. And this is something that I've talked to people about just in, you know, passing conversation, bar conversation. Now, I was talking to a, guy, a buddy of mine at my office the other day about it. They were fishing in transfer waters that they normally wouldn't have a prayer of landing the yep. guy in. I mean, I've been, I think I've told someone the other day, I, 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 this is probably a little bit extreme, but there's a couple guys in that mix that they've landed where in years past, if Ole Miss had called, they'd be like, how the hell did you get this number? Like, is this a joke? Yep. What, are you, what are you talking about? And it's happened overnight. I, I, I guess to throw it to you in that sort of sense, how, like, how would you, how do you put into context just how big of a jump in terms of the talent pool Ole Miss was able to realistically fish in, in Beard's first year versus what it was before? Yeah, I mean, it's uh, if you look at it and you just named off all those schools, right? You had Northeast, you had Western Kentucky, you had Arizona, you know, all across sport. I mean, national, that's national recruiting. You've got guys that were SEC all freshmen, and then you got a guy that came out of high school and, you know, was was a five star. And so it's just, um, I mean, it just opens, it, it opens you up as a program to, all different, all different levels. That's what I think's impressive about Beard. It's not, hey, we've got foreign connections, or we have JUCO connections, or we're good at high school. He's gonna, he's gonna fish from a lot of different ponds and has great relationships across the board um, that are gonna open doors for you know this group that we really haven't seen before. Who do you think the best guys out of that group? I mean, Musa Cisse is kind of the, I would say the the most decorated. You mentioned him being a five star out of uh out of high school goes to Oklahoma State but just in your mind when they all those six got announced which was the first one you're like holy hell he got that guy like which one sticks out the yeah. most to you well i mean i think the one that on both ends of the floor is going to maybe the most talented player on the roster honestly is uh Brandon Murray um SEC all freshman he was good at LSU he's good at Georgetown he can guard he can score 
he fits in the beard system really well. Um, so that that's the one from a talent standpoint that I was most impressed with. Musa Cisse from a battling other schools standpoint was probably yeah. the one that I was like, you know, that, that that's when that's when well him and Sharp both honestly, that's when it kind of clicked in my head that this NIL thing is it, it is at a competitive spot. Um, because you're going against real, you know, P5 schools that have had a lot of tournament success um, and stability when you're when you're going to try to get a CSA or a Sharp. So those are, you know, those are kind of the two. Um, you know, Austin Nunez, I think that this – look, he averaged four points a game last year, which that's not going to – you know, blow anybody away, but he had some really good games towards the end of the year, and that the staff is super high on him. Um, and this is a staff that is known to talent evaluate pretty well. So I don't know that, hey, expecting, you know, 10 a game from this kid this year, um, I, I don't know if that's something to expect, but this is a guy that long-term they think is going to be a pretty good SEC player. Let's just go through a couple of them real quick. What kind of player yeah. are they getting in CSED? Yeah, Cisse, so, um, you know, he, he's developed his game. He's a, Both him and Sharp are extremely good defenders, right? I mean, you're talking about two of the best, um, you know, big men defenders probably in the country, and I think Cisse is about 7-1. He's improved his game um, back to the basket a little bit. It used to be just kind of lob, um, dump-offs, et cetera. But, um, he, yeah, he, he's a force to be reckoned with. And for both him and Sharp, defensively, like their game is similar. It's one of these things where you kind of have to change at times as an opposing team the way you play against them offensively because they kind of have that, like, jarvis Bernardo effect down low um, where there's they take up so much space they can alter so many shots, like anything inside of five feet, you're kind of afraid if it's a floater or a layup, what's going to happen to it. Um, so both of those guys, it's going to, you know, it's going to be really it, the impact defensively from them. It, it's hard to quantify, honestly. It's a lot more than what's just on the stat sheet of, you know, two to three blocks a game or whatever the case may be. Right. You're exa- I mean, that's exactly right. I mean, I think he was at what, like seven points a game, eight rebounds, a couple blocks a game. Like that's nothing on the stat sheet that's going to blow you away. But the things they do within a game that don't necessarily show up on your kind of base level box score, um, I think he's a pretty good example of that. What about Brandon Murray? What are they getting in him? Yeah, I mean, Murray Murray can uh, – he's a great defender. He can drive. He can slash. I think that he, from a perimeter shooting level it's not a concern but it's not going to be a strong suit for him we've talked about this a lot um the past couple of years with Kermit teams but both at the point guard spot and on the wings they haven't had a lot of guys with wiggle that can you know beat people off the bounce um they played east to west too much and uh he is a get downhill guy that can beat people off the dribble it's super athletic. So uh, that's what I'm excited to see out of him that we haven't seen a whole lot in the past couple of years. A couple of guys that kind of came from non, I say kind of came from non power five guys. I mean, you mentioned Jamarian Sharp. That was one of the examples that you used that, Hey, it's impressive in the sheer sense that the schools they beat out for him. He had a lot of suitors. Hell, his former coach, Rick Stansbury gets hired as an assistant in Memphis and almost beats him yeah. out for that. 
Um, yeah. it's a big dude, another big body that's a shot alterer. Um, what do you, what I guess would you do? Kind of give me your 39, 60 second, whatever he, breakdown of what they're getting in him. Yeah, I mean, same same uh, impact defensively as Cisse. He is a stretched out version of Cisse, meaning he's seven five, so he's taller, but he's skinnier. Um, he's going to be super heavy on dump offs offensively. I mean, I, I don't, you know, I don't think you're going to run a lot of stuff through him um, offensively. But really, and truly, like, I mean, there aren't many people that I've watched since Jarvis Bernardo that have the kind of impact that he does uh, down low defensively. And the reason that I'll watch him play a little bit is because UAB would be in that, you know, they, they play Western two or three times a year. And so watching AK see how to, you know, offensively scheme against that. And, you know, that it took away some of jelly Walker trying to get to the basket. And so, like I said, like with sharp, the, tough thing is it's very hard to just quantify um his his impact it, it'd be interesting to see some sort of metric of like defensive plus minus almost when he's on the floor like or, or like uh opposing points per game when he's on the floor just because he, he's you know he's got that much impact down low Best shot blocker in the country. It's interesting to look at those two that we just mentioned side by side, Cisse and Sharp, both seven footers, both tall, lanky guys. Is that something where they can play at the same time? I know we're kind of getting off in the weeds. There's a ton of more time for that. Yeah, Do you think I, they could? I, I just – I don't know that I can see that. I know a lot of people um, – you know, I, I know that a lot of people have wondered that, which you have to think about is like, okay, you're kind of running like a three-out, two-in offense at that point which is a little unconventional. Um, also, what you, you know, basketball has become very positionless and kind of a lot of a lot of players, especially one through four, have guard skills. So it's like, you know, can Cissé, and definitely not Sharp, but could Cissé step out on the wing and guard a four-man that may really be kind of a three-man? I don't know. I don't know about that, right? So I, I don't see that happening. What I do wonder, um, and he's got to get a little more physical and stronger, and this is, you know, year, uh, I guess, three now um, in college, so, you know, wh whatever. But I do wonder if they could have a lineup where Brakefield plays five and Flanagan plays four um, if CSA doesn't get eligible. That's that's one thing that kind of pops in my head because if CSA is not eligible, you've got two like true freshmen that are kind of development guys um, that are coming in, so they could play five out with Breakfield. Um, and as a five man defensively, you have to respect him out on the perimeter because he's a he's a decent three point shooter. So I think I could see the Breakfield at five before I could see CSA at the four to kind of put put that back together. Yeah, it just – you mentioned the two out, three in. That's – I mean, it's positionless basketball. is kind of reigned supreme in this modern age of basketball. That would be really a blast from the past in terms of trying to figure out how to make that work. Jalen Murray, the St. Peter's transfer, a point guard um, right around six feet, think about 180 pounds. That was one that – I won't call it off the radar, but definitely not one where when his first 60, 70 days he got hired, I was like, okay, like what's kind of realistic here? Kind of keep an eye out for this but clearly someone they value. Why do you think they valued him and went out and landed him? 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think both him and Nunez um, at that point guard spot can make perimeter shots. And, um, you know, Beard wants as many guys as possible that can defend, but that can also shoot, you know, 37% plus from the three-point line. Um, if you look at some of his successful teams, that's been kind of a formula of theirs. So he can he can shoot. Um, I think that he can handle the show. He can kind of you know he's got he's got good ball handling. Can run the show at the point guard spot. Little under undersized, not a great athlete, um, which is not always the you know greatest formula in the SEC. So you know to kind of backtrack that, if you want to poke holes and what this team's weakness is going to be um, once November rolls around. I, I, my thought is it's, it's definitely going to be the point guard spot. Um, you know, I think that long-term they're going to be pretty solid there, but year one, that's kind of where my area of concern lies. What do you figure they're getting in the coach's kid and Alan Flanagan? So Ole Miss hires West or uh, Beard hired West Flanagan to join his staff you know, in the day and age of – you see this in football sometimes too, but particularly basketball, it's like, oh, they hired the dad to get the kid. Not really the situation there, right? Um, no. Again, was the Little Rock – his assistant under Beard at Little Rock actually uh, seceded Beard when Beard left for Texas Tech, was there for yeah. three years, didn't work out, spent the last five years as Auburn's assistant. His son was at Auburn, eventually comes over here. What kind of player are they getting in him? Yeah, I mean, this is a guy that I believe two years ago um, averaged 14 points a game. Um, I think that, you know, one thing that's super interesting that, you know, we haven't brought up yet is between uh, Morrell, Brakefield, and Flanagan, the amount of SEC games those three have played in. A lot. You know, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a huge deal. And then you've got Sharp who's 22 years old, Cissé's, you know, 21. So uh, Murray, I think, is is 20. He's played in, you know, a year in the SEC before. And so this team is going to be a brand-new roster build. I mean, you've got literally two guys off of last year's team that will play heavy minutes and then two others that I just – I don't know about. But um, so with with Flanagan, you're right. You know, he he's athletic. Um, not a great shooter, but he could score. And the thing that I like about him is I think he can play that four spot some, um, which they they need some depth there, especially if you play break field at the five. His dad, to your point, you know, this is not a hire the, the dad to get a son. I mean, his dad as a assistant is – a stronger performer than Flanagan is as a player. And Flanagan has averaged 12 a game in the SEC the past two years. So, you know, that says something. Yeah, that's a terrific way to put it. Like, it was a strong assistant hire, and it just so happened that his son was college eligible and, you know, playing on the team that he coached for prior um, to that. That's a terrific way to put it. One thing I overlooked just real quick on um, the – I was about to say Brandon Murray, Jalen Murray aspect of it is the fact that, you know, Ruffin's gone. We talked about Morrell piece of it and some of the dribbling. They didn't really have a point guard. Like, if you're talking about a guy that – I know he doesn't have eligibility issues, but a guy that's seeming like they really need that role more so than just the talent, that guy seemed pretty important in just getting a point guard that can run offense and run your team in the half court because 
Ole Miss seemingly did not really have that. Like if you take J- remove Jalen Murray for the equation, and I asked you here in June who the point guard is for the team next season, what would have been your answer? It, it, so you're saying if Murray wasn't on the roster, yeah, like who's the point guard? I mean, I think Nunez. Okay, fair enough. Yeah. So, so like, I think that I think they're going to split minutes. Um, Nunez, I think ceiling is, is higher, but uh, Murray. I mean, obviously, I mean, he's played some big time games with during that St. Peter's run um, and he's proven it more. And so, you know, I, I think both of those guys are kind of going to kind of split minutes, um, you know, as we go into November. As Chase wrote a column the other week on Rebel Grove talking about kind of the momentum, the early momentum that Beard has created at Ole Miss. But of course, it comes contingent on a couple of pretty significant NCA waiver decisions. And that's kind yeah. of a foreign concept, right, in this modern age of college sports that just seems like free agency. But the two guys at the center of it are, of course, Cissé and Brandon Murray, the Georgetown transfer. Why is that the case? Well, they've already transferred. Cissé was at Memphis. Then he goes to Oklahoma State. That's that one-time free tree transfer. I know everybody thinks it's unlimited free agency, but that's not really the case. You know, it becomes a lot more difficult if you're not a grad transfer to try to move schools a second time. So these are two pretty significant waiver decisions from the NCAA. I admittedly hand up off the top of my head. I could not tell you when something like that would come down as far as a ruling. What is the sense that you get just early reading the tea leaves on how likely it is that either one or both of them is eligible next year because there's a couple elements to this second time transfer thing that I want to get to in a second, but just your general thought on the odds of counting yeah. play next year. You know, it, it, it's interesting because like early on, you kind of it, the kind of feel was that Cisse didn't have much of a shot and Murray did, and then it's flipped, and now I I, I really don't know the answer to the question. My thought on it is I'm going to be pessimistic about it until somebody gives me a reason to be optimistic about it. Um, and that's just, I mean, maybe that's PTSD from 2016. Shout out Hugh Freeze. But, you know, when you're dealing with the NCAA, I mean, I'm going to be pessimistic about it until there's reasons. Otherwise, I know that there's a few circumstances that you can get on your side. There's, you know, mental health and then maybe some sort of, you know, location stuff as well. Um, but, I mean, there, you know, anybody that says that they know, honestly, including that staff, I don't, I mean, I don't know. It's kind of a coin flip at this point. I don't, I don't think really anybody knows inside, outside of people in Indianapolis. Yeah. And my God, would you even think they knew at this point? Like, I, I swear <laughs> to God, I know how that shit, I know I don't know exactly how that stuff works, but I would just love for some way to just do kind of the almost like, uh, I said to use a political example, just ambush style reporting. If you just blitz one of those dudes involved in those decisions, the NCAA right here on June 8th or whatever it is when we record this, like, what are the odds of CSA and Brandon Murray getting eligible? What, what do you what do you think of the odds are they like who are those guys? Like, you know what I mean? It becomes right. such a clown court. It's almost like a blast from the past. You're exactly right. You mentioned pessimism until you have a reason to believe. Otherwise, when you leave it up to the NCAA to have any sort of say so in a decision. Your best to err on the side of caution or pessimism or however you want to describe it. I mean, this was an 
one of the favorite hits of the uh, Borky and particularly Richard Cross radio topics when I was at Super Talk is it was right before the one-time free transfer got approved, but like the waivers were still somewhat liberally getting approved. But then all of a sudden there'd be a case where like a, a player's mom, like literally had cancer or something. And he was trying to move yeah. home to, to take care of her. I think that was a Virginia kid trying to go somewhere else. And they were like, right. like, you just never know. It's a total kangaroo court and people get angry about it. But from a, a roster construction standpoint and a strategy standpoint, clearly Chris Beard knew the deal when he tried to recruit them. Do you think that he went into that as looking at it from the standpoint of, hey, I just got to go try to recruit the best guys available to try to get as much time on my roster as possible? Or do you think he had any sort of inkling about their likelihood of getting eligible? Mm, it's a, That's a million-dollar question right there. I mean, I think that I think that the way he viewed it is maybe there was some confidence he could get them eligible, but also, hey, these guys are talented enough regardless to where – they're going to be on, you know, they're going to be on campus if I can get them on campus. Right. And so getting into kind of the criteria of what this actually means, shocker, a lot of more vagueness from the NCAA. Uh, this is quoting directly from Chase's story that you can read at rebelgrove.com posted about two weeks ago. In January, the NCAA released a memo with this statement explaining their updated criteria for two-time transfers. Glad they're just frying the big fish with their legal language. Um, an undergraduate transfer waiver will only be considered for student athletes who transfer for reasons related to student athletes' physical or mental health and well-being due to ex, ex I, I swear to God, I, exigent circumstances. I'm a writer, and I'm not even actually sure what that word means. Outside the student athlete's control, physical or sexual assault or discrimination based on a protected class, assertions involving diagnosed education impacting disabilities. So. What does any of that mean, right? That's not a specific thing. The only thing specific in that is them granting a waiver for a second-time transfer for a kid that's had a bunch of injuries, maybe gets a second medical red shirt, and just let him go try his luck somewhere. That's the only clear piece I read of it. The mental health issues piece of it versus – and also the physical and sexual or discrimination-based criteria, the other two pieces of that, I mean – Again, it becomes a delicate topic, but like who the hell knows what that actually means? You know what I mean? We live yeah, in this day and yeah. age where people rightfully so in a lot of senses are a lot more aware of mental health issues. But you've also seen that. I'll be careful to say like weaponized, but you've also seen that I would say in some cases work to athletes advantages to get eligible yeah. because it's a very touchy subject to question. So like that's probably where you're pessimism or your just general uncertainty yeah. I think you described it as coin flip lies is whatever that criteria is it's not actually specific criteria like what does any of that actually mean yeah and that's what i mean i think we're gonna find out right i mean to your point i mean who knows and like what falls under like how severe what does a mental health, health thing standpoint? mean? Do you have to go right. throw your former coach under the bus? Do you have to give some sort of diagnosis? Like, what does that actually entail? Right, right. Now, the only piece of it, and I will, I, I will be honest. I was, I've always been a fan of if your coach leaves, being able to transfer. Um, I've warmed up to the one-time transfer rule. I'm not. I kind of think and this is not good for the program this year, but I kind of think if you do it once, you shouldn't get a second, you know, regardless of what happens. And it's kind of like one of those things where you sign off knowing that if you do this one-time thing, like even if something crazy happens to you, you're using it now. So it's kind of like a gamble. Like even if something, you know, crazy happens with you life-wise, 
But there still is talk around, hey, from a legal standpoint, is the NCAA putting themselves at too much of a risk here by not allowing certain things like your example of, you know, somebody's mom having cancer or whatever level of mental health or, you know, some sort of distance issues, whatever the case may be. That's still something that I, I, I mean, I don't know enough about, but from a legal standpoint, that talk has not softened, I guess, even as this two-time transfer thing has accelerated. No, you're exactly right. And the next line in that story, which is probably one more I should have included before kicking it back to you as like a question, is it says Chase's story again, quoting, the memo goes on to say that playing time, I don't know why you needed to include that, but whatever, not Chase, the NCA, playing time and coaching changes will not be considered viable reasons for immediate eligibility, which is a little, is a little strange to me because I guess it's because in this modern age, you have so much coaching turnover that they feel like they're just basically allowing a one-time free transfer. Because if you use the language as coaching changes, couldn't that just mean the assistant that recruited you is gone? And it's like, hey, coaching change, we're out of here. I know it would probably ultimately be a head coach thing if they gave, like, if they actually made that a rule. But to to hammer the point that you made home regarding, like, the the um, coaching change not being a factor in it, they, they said in that updated memo that will not be a factor Look, we can have a conversation that could go 45 minutes on whether that should or not. But one thing you said was interesting. You said you warmed up to the idea that coaching changes should be considered for a second time free transfer. You were initially not completely sold on that. No, no. What I was saying is, uh, to take a step back, what I was saying is I've always been a fan of uh, before the one-time transfer rule happened. So like five or ten years ago, hey, you can transfer if your coach leaves. What I've warmed up to now is this free-for-all one-time transfer rule. I got you. Okay. That yeah. That so sense. like there was uh there was talk, I can't remember. It was like I think it was Huggins back, you know, 10 years ago that was like because here here's the deal. Like these kids do not come to school anymore for the school, right? Like they come to the school. A lot of people think for a head coach, it's really it's an for assistant. an assistant. Yeah, it's right. 100%. And, and so that's who they – and look, a lot of these I – are mean, there sleazeballs out there, of course, but, like, a lot of these assistants, like, are very close and good to the kid. And, like, even when it uh, – the if the player's not talented enough and it doesn't work out, it's not like the assistant never hears from the kid anymore. The kid goes to the assistant and asks for advice on where to transfer to. Yeah. You know, like, I mean, that is so – that's and that happens ninety percent of the time. Are there times where the mom's pissed off at you know the assistant or the head coach and they're like f this, you know we're not listening to y'all. But I mean, I, you'll see it. You'll see it all the time because what you'll see happens is an SEC assistant pushes a kid to a lower mid major school, and if you look at the assistant staff of the low to mid major school, you'll find out that the SEC assistant and the low to mid major assistant used to work together. Right. It's like hmm. Wonder how that happened, right? So, like, that that's how that whole thing works. And so going back to it, that's why I've always been pro, hey, if the coach leaves, you know, that the, that the kid can as well. And then I've warmed up now, today's state of, hey, this one time. But the two time, it just literally becomes free agency. And I, the other piece of it that obviously is not as important as it was 10 or 15 years ago, but – 
the NCAA actually had this APR thing figured out and graduation rates were increasing. But if you transfer two to three times, it's going to take you five years to graduate because you're going to yeah. lose transfer credits, you know? And so obviously there's the corny ass shit about, Hey, you know, only 1% of college athletes become pro blah, blah, blah. But like straight from the commercial, baby. Need, straight from the commercial, but they need degrees. And so if you're allowing two to three transfers, it's going to take five schools. But guess what? If you're at that one school, you can graduate in three years because they do all this college and, and the intercessions and all that stuff. Well, now if you do that for three years, you can go transfer somewhere and get a master's in year four. Right. And that's kind of what, I mean, it's a complicated discussion. And to, 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 uh, to This made me think of something when you said that a second ago about the assistant piece of it, about how like, hey, all of a sudden they direct him to a lower mid-major school where if you look at that staff, hey, they work together. I wonder how that happened. It's not even a nefarious thing. I was reading a piece from The Athletic earlier this week, Bruce Feldman and someone else at The Athletic who co-wrote the story, and I apologize, I can't remember their name. We're just talking about like what the transfer portal is like a couple years in now. And he used an example of a kid that was like from the, he was an offensive lineman. He was from the Northeast, not highly rated, kind of a lanky project type guy. Goes to Rhode Island. God, that's the co- uh, offensive line coach of Rhode Island's former Ohio State All Big Ten player. He takes a chance on the kid and recruits him. And there's a very interesting piece in that story where the the kid ends up going to Oregon to transfer because he blows up largely because of his PFF grade. A lot of high major coaches, P five coaches. We're like, who's this kid with this ridiculous PFF grade every week? Ends up going to Oregon. And I forget the offensive line coach's name, but he was like, I was really torn because I'm the one that took a chance on this kid. I'm the one that got him here. I need him to preserve my job quality, but I also like the kid and I want to get him the best opportunity. And I'm trying to help him out at the same time. So I'm like very torn as to how to handle this. There's a lot of that going on too, isn't there? Yeah. I mean, there's no doubt. I mean, so that's that's the that's the issue with the the whole deal and the two year i mean if you call it two year at this point you're just calling it unlimited in my opinion yeah because because how would you get into a situation where it could be three unless you're just totally a disaster in terms of how you work out at each program well but that's but that would happen and my thought what my point is and maybe it's like well just making the one-time thing free opens up the whole door but if you make two times free because you're afraid of the legal shit. You have to make three and four free as well. Yeah. Like that's a nothing, good point. Like how do you take a stand at three? There's, but there, yeah. The reason that you can't take a stand at two is going to be the same reason you can't take a stand at three and four. Right. And it's one of those so, things. I mean, there's a camp of like, they should do whatever they want. It's like, well, actually NFL guys can't do this. Like NFL guys can't go team right. to team to team every year. Like you, you technically are under contract. I know the NBA's tried to make that not a thing, but Hey, I go under contract. There's no contracts here. It's just this weird opaque thing that, you know, is this thing we could dive into for hours and hours on end. So with that, but to kind of put it back toward the Ole Miss basketball team, if those guys aren't eligible, uh, that being Brandon Murray and Musa Cisse, uh, just to kind of bring it back to the forefront here, how does that change how you view this basketball team this year? Does that become a bit of a roster um, yeah. like depth issue? How do you view how drastically that changes what this team could be as we currently know it? I know it's not totally done yeah. yet. Yeah, it's not done yet. Um, but look, I mean, it's a big impact for this team. I mean, like I said, I think that Murray is 
Uh, I mean, he's a guy that could be an all-conference player. Um, Cisse, uh, again, along with Sharp, it's hard to quantify the defensive impact, and I think that he is improving offensively. Uh, He's become serviceable offensively, and so uh, it's a big deal. Um, I think if both these guys are eligible, I still feel – if both of these guys are eligible, I think that, um, you know, this team – probably has a similar season to Mississippi State last year, maybe a little bit more comfortable going into Selection Sunday. That's just my thoughts because they're going to be able to guard at a super high level, but I think they'll have more scores than that State team did last year. Um, State was super limited there. Um, You know, if you lose Cissé and lose Brandon uh, Murray, though, I mean, I think that you're – your floor obviously drops to a level where, hey, you know, get getting into the tournament would take a pretty good coaching job, but you got you have a pretty good coach. So I, I still in my head kind of see this team as like, regardless of what happens, the floor being maybe an NIT host and the ceiling being getting in the tournament and maybe winning one game. I mean, the whole like, the whole like what your ceiling is postseason honestly is all about matchups I mean it it, it honestly just is so being like hey the ceiling is this or that well it's just like once you get in the tournament like what is your matchup right like you could play a team that has had a whole lot more success than you ranked top 25 or whatever but if you match up well with them that's kind of what March and April are all about so that's kind of what I see hey floor um, NIT host, so top whatever that is, um, maybe 16 seed, I think. Yeah, because there's 32, so 16. And then the ceiling is in the tournament comfortably, um, and matchups will kind of let you know whether you win a game or not. You figure they get any any impact from uh, the three high school kids they got? So they got a kid named Rashad Marshall from Blytheville, Arkansas, 6'. 10-ish center, Cameron Barnes, a power forward right around that 6'11 range from Duncanville, right by in the old Dallas area, been to Duncanville's football stadium. And then the old MIS kid, Jacob Gazzo, I think. I think I talked to that kid one time when he was in like eighth grade taking a visit to Ole Miss when I still worked for the Spirit. But those three high school guys, do you you uh, anticipate any sort of impact by either one of the three? So I um, I, Barnes is Gazzo. I I don't think so. Um, Barnes, I think, is a development guy. They want to put some weight on. Um, in a perfect world, if you had like a super complete roster, I think you redshirt him. The interesting thing with Marshall, I'm a little higher on him than most. Um, he may have to play if Cisse isn't eligible. Right. So regardless of you know what happens, I mean, I think that he's got to. I think he's got to uh, be ready. He's a guy that I don't think he needs a red shirt year, so to speak, but he needs a year kind of in an SEC program and even those in-game reps before you can really depend on him for something. Um, like I said, I'm a little higher on him uh, than most. I, I think that he's got a he's got a decently high ceiling, um, but. You know, I, I don't I don't think you're gonna get a lot out of your high school guys this year. The interesting thing is I think they still could uh, have a spot open. So you have I think I'm getting his name correct, Andrew Woodbury from uh, Utah Valley State. He's a really good shooter, shooting guard that he's applying for some 
extra year of eligibility due to I think he only played in two games one year and there's some medical deal there. It would be good to have him and just add another shooter off the bench. Um, and then there's, um, you know, I think they're still looking at some guys out of high school that have recently decommitted. Uh, so 2023 guys that have recently decommitted, I think one's at Kansas and then another guy from uh, North Carolina as well. So I think there's still room to add um, one more guy. And it seems like if they added another guy at this point, it would be at the shooting guard spot, just who they've gone after. But like I said, my opinion, I think that, you know, in, in a perfect world, if Beard got his dream to come true, they would be a little bit more talented right now at the point guard spot. You think they're done in the portal? It sounded like you kind of insinuated that a little bit. Um, uh, I don't know. Cause I mean, Woodbury would be in the portal, right? That so is true. That would technically count. You're right. That's a, that's a portal get. Um, but you know, timing wise, I, I think you have to be in the portal by this point. And the list is pretty, well, the list is very big, but the list of people not committed is very small of high major players in my opinion. So, um, I would say probably doubtful outside of Woodbury. And then the last piece of this is we kind of wrap this up. They bring, obviously they get Matthew Morell back. Um, I listened to the podcast that Chris Beard did on the Oxford Exxon podcast a week or two ago, whenever that was. And Beard had a pretty interesting comment about how like, you know, selfishly he's like, I think I could put Matthew Morell in a much better position than he is now in terms of his NBA future, just by working with him for a year. And I thought that was a very interesting comment just from the fact that he sees one, a lot of potential in a kid that was a pretty good SEC player for the last couple of years. How uh, how important is it getting Morell back? And then as we kind of look at the roster and what they are returning outside of Morell, do you see any any benefit of the kind of few holdovers that they have? Um, I don't think Robert Coward's going to play at all. Um, if I'm being super critical here, I'm a little surprised that that was a keep on their end. Okay. Um, TJ Caldwell, I think he has the potential to be an SEC role player. Um, Breakfield, like. I mean, honestly, it gets overlooked, but he had a pretty good year last year, right? Particularly and the last 12 games, he seemed to kind of find himself. 100%. And I talk about it all the time. I've talked about it for years with you. It's like the lack of having a leader on a college basketball team in today's day and age with NIL, Portal, et cetera, it's kind of diminished a little bit. And I think Brakefield's a guy that wants to be a leader. And, I mean, he wants to go to the tournament. He's a Mississippi guy. So I think it's a crucial piece getting him back. On Morrell, like, look, we've seen flashes from Morrell. I mean, you remember he scored 30 against Memphis or whatever two years ago. The thing, he's got to improve his ball handling, and he's got to be able to get past defenders on the wing as well. And I know that uh, I know that uh, Beard can take his game up a notch on the defensive end of the floor, which will, you know, I think NBA people would like a lot. But he, he's got to be able to be explosive. Off, he's a good athlete, but he's got to be able to be explosive off the bounce. Um, and so that's the that's the one interesting thing to see. But, you know, if you look at it, I mean, the AK to Kermit transition with TD, TD was non-contributor year one, had a big jump, um, you know, year two, sophomore year, and then I guess flatline year three, junior year. But then that last year took another big jump under Kermit. And so sometimes having that new coach can help and, I mean, if Morrell could take, you know, that jump that TD took junior to senior year, um, 
you know, maybe Morrell could be a pro. And if he's a pro, you know, this team has, has got a shot to be pretty competitive. One quick thing that was kind of a side note when you mentioned Breakfield coming back that I thought was interesting. And I'll probably actually write about this at some point, not to give away the old uh, state secrets in terms of story ideas, but he's an older guy at this point. And I don't follow all these players on social media, but for whatever reason, I think I did an NIL interview on him and I found him to be a pretty interesting kid. I follow Mare- I follow Breakfield on a couple inst- like, uh, I was going to say Instagram, social media sources. He seems like he's very happy in his life. Um, I, I, and I don't mean this like flippantly or lightly. I think he got like baptized or something and has had, if I'm, if I remember what I saw correctly on social media and kind of has had like a, a bit of a maturation life awakening in some ways. And I know that's a weird way to frame it, but he seems very content and happy where he is from a life perspective for at least what he puts out on social media. You've worked in this, how particularly with the new coaching staff, like is that has to be somewhat valuable having an older kid that's level-headed seems to be happy with kind of where he exists in his both basketball and life world, like in terms of being receptive to a new coaching staff, receptive coaching, all that, that has to make the transition a little smoother. If that makes any sense at all. I know that's like a vague way to put it, but it's just something I noticed with the way he's put himself out there in his public persona. Yeah. And, and, and even what I've noticed is in the community as well. Yes. Um, and, and I think, you know, I mean, anytime you see, it's early, right? It's three months into it. But anytime you see videos of like, you know, um, beard out in the community or on the court or recruiting, like Breakfield's next to him the whole time. Like he's, it's like beard and the coaches in Breakfield. And so there is probably a, a, a week or two where Breakfield is probably the only person in the Tui Center. You know, right. if you think about it, I mean, I, I guess, I guess Morell as well, but. Um, yeah, I think that having that buy-in, a guy that's played both heavy ACC and SEC minutes, the what you lose of not having a ton of guys back on a team from a chemistry standpoint, you gain with this team with the amount of experience in big boy basketball games um, with, hey, Breakfield and Morrell coming back, but also – um, most of these six transfers. Absolutely. Last thing on this, just when I look at this team and the current roster that they have, you mentioned the Mississippi State example earlier. I think that's a very fascinating one from a number of different perspectives. They are going to defend their ass off. That's kind of just what beard teams are. Hell, Kermit's teams were that way. Um, they just couldn't really score. The one thing that seems to be lacking is perimeter jump shooting, which, you know, in this modern day and age in basketball, that's pretty important. Do you view that as something they lack as well? Um, no, I think compared to – if you look at it, a lot of their – one, it's positionless, but ones and twos, so to speak, especially if you get Woodbury. So both their point guards can shoot. You know, Breakfield can shoot. Morrell's got the capability to if you add Woodbury in. I don't think it's um, where he wants it to be, you know, year two and going forward. I don't think it's going to be, um, you know, the hindrance that it's been in the past, though, as well. It's fascinating stuff. I'm very excited to kind of what see what this basketball team is going to be. I mean, we talked about this a couple of times. I think we almost like did a little um, 
I wouldn't say we predicted it, but we could kind of read the tea leaves on it. In the months since that Beard's been hired, I mean, how many people have told you they bought Ole Miss basketball season tickets or want to? You know, if everyone, if I did, oh, yeah. if the, if the larger sample size was based on the conversation I've had with people, they would have sold 20,000 season tickets. And I don't think the arena seats like eight. Like it's well, sort of well, those type of excitement here, things. And, and here, here's the here's the interesting piece on ticket sales. So obviously you have Chris Beard, right? And that kind of sells itself. If you get these two guys eligible, I don't think this is a top 25 team. I do feel pretty good about them being a tournament team, but there will be people nationally. They almost will get top 25 votes if both these guys are eligible. Okay. So that's going to sell more tickets. He's going to schedule hard non-conference. That's going to schedule more tickets outside of South Carolina. Everybody's going to be good in the sec. That's going to sell more tickets. And then this is a super small one. But we all remember being kids. Pretty cool watching a seven foot five guy play. Uh, yes, it is. <laughs> I remember like, going to there, uh, the old uh, tad pad just to see Jarvis Bernardo. Yeah. There and he didn't even play for be, Ole Miss. Like, I was just like, I like to see the shot blocker thing happen. There will literally be seven or eight year olds that are like, I want to go see the seven foot five guy. You know, <laughs> like, that's a, that's a thing. That will that literally will sell tickets for games, and I mean, Cisse's seven one. Um, you know, whoever was buying tickets to go watch Dom play, God, God bless your soul. Um, that's a seven footer, but and this is this is a different deal here. It is, and it, it. But you bring up a good point in the sense that, and this is something that we've talked about. You know, just back and forth for a couple of years. I think we mentioned on the podcast a couple of times. This is supposed to be college basketball is supposed to be fun. It's, you know, I, I mentioned, I was like, man, I'd like to have a couple of season tickets at the pavilion. I never actually pulled the trigger on them. Maybe that just makes me a bad support. I don't know. But I was just like, man, this like, it's supposed to be fun. It's twice a week. It's indoors. It's a beautiful building. It's two hours. Yep. It's not like, Hey, they lost a series. You got a midweek game, another series coming up. Every game is like very important and very electric and it feels like it's the end all be all in the moment type of thing. Like it's a very, you know, if college football, you have 12 Saturdays of fall, people love to call it the greatest regular season ever. I I disagree with that sentiment, but every single game feels very important. Like this is kind of what college basketball is supposed to be. It's supposed to be a ton of fun in what is already a pretty dead period in terms of just like the school calendar. And really when you get to the peak of the college basketball season, kind of the sports calendar. Yeah, and, like, the thing that's interesting is, like, obviously the AK had so many bubble teams, and then Kermit's really good team was his first year, and it was unexpected. But you haven't seen Ole Miss basketball since, um, you know, the, the early Barnes days be, like, ranked top, we now call it net, like top 40 net, and then RPI before that, like, the the AK teams were kind of like in the 65 to 75 range going into the season. So like if if CSA and Murray are eligible, you are going to be like a top 40 net team the first day you play, which means unless you mess it up by losing to some bad team or whatever, like you're going to be in the tournament talks day one, which when Ole Miss is on the bubble or in tournament talks, the fans come out. And I think the students have always been pretty good, you know, at least since Marshall's been here. It's not the most educated student section in the world. (laughs) Sometimes I'm like, you know, do we know what side of the floor we're on? Like, do we know what's going on here? But, like, they show up to support. So the interesting thing that's from the fan standpoint is 
it's been 20 years since you were probably a top 40 net team. I'd have to look that up, but I feel there, there may be an anomaly or two in there. But if both these guys get eligible, like you were – your ranking shows that you were on the right side of the bubble the first time the ball is tipped. And to support your point about like the the support and all that, you're exactly right. It, it, Kermit's first year, uh, uh, Tennessee. There's one more game in there. I don't know if it was Kentucky or someone else. Toward the end of the year, in Kermit's first year in 2019, that those that building was electric. Those were a couple of very electric atmospheres. But in terms of you mentioned the student support, it's still being a pretty good environment. Kermit's second year, when they got off to such a bad start and then kind of sort of found themselves and almost made a little run in February, that building was still pretty hype despite the team not being great, and it was certainly proverbially behind the eight ball. Like, that building can be pretty awesome um, at times, and we it unfortunately just haven't seen it in a couple of years because of a pandemic and then bad basketball after that. But it's going to be very, very exciting to watch. I know people are very pumped about it, and, uh, you know, count me in as someone who wants to be you know, kind of at the forefront of just like seeing how this plays out. I'm excited to see how it plays out too. Last couple random notes before I let you get out of here. Did the fact that Chris Beard floated the Tad Pad reunion game, did that give you excitement or PTSD? You know, honestly, for it's <laughs> a good question. I kind of think it is cool. And what I think I, it's cool too. But you, you know worked in I that think, place every day. You, but you know what I think would be the greatest is if he hosted UAB. Oh, that would be amazing. Because then you get the AK press conference, and then Beard does these fireside chats. McConaughey, you know, um, all these Texas players. Like he does – he's done one with Rick Barnes. Can you imagine a Chris Beard, Andy Kennedy fireside chat the night before they play each other? (laughs) So that has been my thought. Like, And I think Beard really wants to do it. I wonder logistically, I mean, like, look, there's got to be some some liability claims. Like, I bet Keith, Keith would be nervous. <laughs> they, you know, if, if they packed people in the tad pad, if the roof fell in or something. But I I think it would, I think it'd be really cool. And honestly, if it happens, that would probably be game number one that I would go to regardless of who we play. I'm far from a marketing genius, but like in terms of just being sarcastic and a smart ass, I think Ole Miss should hire me just to put up marketing points for that game. You know, you could go back to the uh, old days of just peeing in a trough in those old bathrooms. I think you should allow people to smoke inside. Um, the uh, Sacramento Kings have the light the beam ceremony. I think that AK should be able to light the beam, but point it and see if he can still point out the holes in the roof. What are your thoughts on that? See, here's what I think would be good is after the game, if they just let AK dynamite the tad pad. Oh, that would be amazing. Just be like, look, this is great. This is the last building ever. You know, you were the one of the founding, not founding fathers of the tad pad, but my God, you're integral to its history. Please push this button and watch this thing blow up. Look, if they let if they let somebody dynamite the tad pad after the game, I promise it would be a sellout. The game would. Oh, I count me in on that. I'd probably like get too close for comfort to just watch it happen. Um, very last random note: the NBA drafts coming up. I listened to a bunch of NBA podcasts, been enjoying the finals and all of that. One of the things I found interesting, you know, the whole Wimby thing is kind of it is what it is. Like he seems pretty awesome. He's going number one. I thought the whole Scoot Brandon Miller thing at two three with Charlotte has been pretty fascinating. I watched Brendan Miller in college basketball, all the off-the-court stuff aside, whatever that case may be. He's an incredible basketball player. I'm just curious, where do you fall on that? Are you surprised there's a debate at two between 
Scoot and Brandon Miller? Are you a Brandon Miller guy? What are your thoughts on that? I, I am a Brandon Miller guy, and I mean, my only commentary really on it is uh, he it feels like, from an interview standpoint and how he's handled a lot of that stuff, has done a really impressive job because his draft stock really is not did not drop any because of it. So um, he's probably a good kid. I don't know him at all. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. The way he's handled it all that that night, whatever side. I don't mean to dismiss right. it, but you're right. Like he he didn't go trip over himself in that in that scene. Yeah, he handled it a lot better than Alabama did in some respects. So, um, but yeah, I, I I think he's a super talented player. I think his I think his game will translate really well to the NBA as well. He is Bracken Ray, former AK assistant, uh, real estate mogul. Um, hell, we did that at the top of the podcast. But plug it away. You got a real uh, um, you got a rental property available in Oxford where they are often scarce on whether night to night, big weekends. How's it been going so yeah. far? Yeah, absolutely. So Turnberry three bed, two bath unit, um, probably, you know, 15 minute walk to Swayze and Vault Hemingway, um, doing short term rentals year round, both on weekdays and weekends. So great for, you know, parents week, um, football games. Look, we may be pretty good at basketball this year. So basketball games as well. Oh, yeah. Um, so Bracken at rentthesupoxford.com is my email address. And for big games that are still – or notable games that are still open so far, uh, Mercer, ULM, and Vanderbilt. Absolutely. Hit him up, Bracken at Rent the Sip Oxford. I'll just give out his number after I hang up with him on the podcast. <laughs> get him plugged with the cause. I appreciate the time, my man. We'll uh, Hey, we'll do this again closer to basketball season. I'm fired up. Well, let's do it. All right, that was Bracken Ray. Appreciate his time as always. Always good talking to him, particularly as uh, there's renewed excitement around the Ole Miss basketball program. So uh, basketball season will be here for you know it. Thanks for listening to this podcast. As always, we'll holler at you in a couple of days here around Wednesday or so, middle of the week.